Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Wasn't that awesome? Okay, you can take your seats and welcome to week two of the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favourite books actually. Um, I, I, uh, I studied a, a few years ago and I was thinking about doing a PhD and I was going to do it on Paul because for me, Paul's one of the most amazing, uh, amazing people of um, Christian history. Um, and uh, we covered it last week. So if you weren't here last week, uh, not just because I gave the message and thought it was okay, but uh, you get an understanding of who Paul really was. Paul's first name was Saul. That was his Jewish name. His Roman name was Paul. He was a, a person who was a zealot for, for Judaism. Uh, and he, he had a firm belief that the only way that God would redeem Israel was that if every Jew confessed and complied with the law. Uh, so he was a zealot, and he killed a lot of Christians, and he put a lot of Christians in jail. Uh, but then he had his moment on the road to Damascus, and he was radically saved, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He still thought that his, his mission on earth was to save the Jewish people, but it soon became very apparent that he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles, the people who were outside Israel. And so for him, that was a big learning curve to move from being solely Jewish-based to then becoming an advocate for the Gentiles. And it was actually Paul in the, um, they called it the, uh, the, uh, the Council of Israel, uh, sorry, of Jerusalem, where they said that because the, when Gentiles came into the faith, they had to be circumcised if they were male. Uh, and it was actually Paul said that circumcision by hand is not what God, Christ was about. It was about circumcision of our heart. And he was the one who radically changed how the Jews saw uh, the Gentile people. And we're going to see this very much so in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Last week we covered, in chapter 1, we talked about why we should be really happy with Jesus and happy with God. And it's really about the fact that we have been elected. We have been adopted as a son of daughter, and son or daughter of God, that we have been redeemed, but not only redeemed... And this is sometimes where we get to, we just feel that we're now saved and we're happy. But we now get revelation to now live in the inheritance. So those five things were election, adoption, redemption, revelation, and inheritance. We all have an inheritance. The thing is, are we using our inheritance? The inheritance is not when we get to heaven, the inheritance is right now on earth. We get further inheritance when we get to heaven, but we can call earth a heaven into earth and what we're going to look at is um the we're going to finish off chapters two and three so it's going to be scriptures on steroids it's going to we're going to be it's 43 verses to get through whoa so strap in hold in tight but the first three books of uh first three chapters of um ephesians really cover our position in christ who we are before god and next week, when Pastor Christian's back, he, and, and with Justin the week after, we're going to be looking at chapters 4 to 6, which is our practice in Christ, or who we are, sorry, how we should act before man. Okay, so that's what we're looking at. So today, last week we looked at that the believers are the child of God, but today we're going to look that believers are not um, are members of God's body, and that believers are God's building. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, we read, And you were dead in trespass and sin. So just previously, he's just been talking about how we are 
the sons and daughters of the living God. But he says this is where we were at. We were in dead in sin. Okay? And what happens is we're dead in sin. And particularly, remember, Paul's writing here to the Gentiles. So these people had no hope, according to uh, the Old Testament, because they were outside the children of Israel. And the only way you could become a child of Israel was you had to then go and conform and actually become uh, a, a part of the children of Israel. They would accept people in, but you had to comply fully with their understanding. So we are, we, what he's saying here is you were dead in sin. And what does sin really actually mean? You know, it's a, you know, it's a horrible word sometimes. Um, purely and simply, sin is an attitude. And I think it comes back from the Garden of Eden. Right, the Garden of Eden, the sin wasn't the eating the, eating the apple or whatever it was. The sin was the act of, a, of rebellion. That becomes the sin. It's, it's not necessarily what we do, it's the heart behind what we do. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, it's called missing the mark. That's what sin means, missing the mark. What it was like if you're, uh, uh, you know, doing arrows, archery, it was missing the bullseye. Okay? So it just means that we've missed the mark. We're not in the right frame of mind. Okay, so what happens is we were dead in sin. We read in verse 2 and 3, and which you once walked following the course of the world. And we were just following the course of the world. Just think back to before you made a decision for Christ. Or if you have been like me, been ever since you were a young fella, um, look at the people around you who just walk after the, the course of the world. You know what I mean? I say, I say this, we get up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we kick the cat, we pat the dog, we have food, we go to work, come home, have a discussion with the missus, go to bed, and we repeat for 80, 90 years and die. There's so many people I meet in the world today who just do not know why they're here. What That is, has to be one of the biggest tragedies of our time, is that we do not know why we're here and what's the point? A friend of mine many years ago killed himself because of that one thing. He said, if all life ends in death, what's the point? You know, he was 29 at the time, you know, and killed himself. And, and, I, and I, that, you know, you look at that and you go, how tragic is that, that we do not know who we are? We just follow the course of the world, following the prince of of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I think sin is just purely rebellion. From rebellion becomes self-centeredness, self-absorption. Uh, it's got to be my way. This is where we get pride from. This is where we get all those things that emotions. It becomes a rebellion against whatever it is that God has for us. Amongst whom you, you once lived was the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And it's this constant rebellion of God. But we see in verse 4, but God, and whenever you see the but or therefore, it's very pronounced in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy. And we sung that today. He's mercy. He's love. Because of the great love he has for us, even though you were dead in trespass, so even before we even knew he existed, or before we even became conscious or saw a desire to follow God. Uh, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
even before we were worthy. And this is the thing I love about Paul. Paul calls himself the least of all saints because of the horrible things he did to the saints. That's why he calls himself the worst amongst saints or the lowest amongst saints because he, doesn't, he never saw himself worthy to be anything more than just a humble servant of God. He says that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I did this, I did that, I did this and I did that. But I counted it was all done so that I just may know Jesus Christ. That's what he saw was his only thing that he wanted was to know Jesus Christ. And we read, and you were raised up with him in verse 6 and seated amongst him in the heavenly places of Jesus Christ. The thing is, heaven is here for us. Or the aspects of heaven are here for us. We can draw on that, is what Paul's saying here. So that we may, in the coming ages, he may show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards Jesus Christ. The thing is, what does it mean to be saved? What does it really mean to know Jesus Christ? Because when you know Jesus Christ, your world should change. If you truly know Jesus Christ, your world will change. It was like, I, I was thinking about it, um, I just celebrated my... Um, 16th anniversary of graduating at the police academy and um, I remember that day uh, because it was the day they gave me my badge and, um, and then all of a sudden those seven months of training which, which were extremely painful uh, uh, and extremely uh, not arduous it was just it was painful and I and if I had ever had to go back and do it again I couldn't do it again right but the point is when I got became a police officer, started acting as a police officer, my whole perspective changed. I, I used to watch a lot of cop shows. I wanted to be a policeman for a long time, failed the eyesight test, all that sort of stuff. But the thing is, when I became a police officer, my perspective changed. The thing is, if I quit the police, I can tell you now, you can't take the change out of me. You can quit Jesus Christ, but can you really get the change that he put in you and that's why sometimes it says that when we leave the household of faith, it's harder for us to reconcile. When we were dead to sin, it was okay. But not really. But that's why it says it's better to be there than to be post-Jesus Christ. Because you can't, go, you can't reconcile your world. What is your purpose then if it's not in Jesus Christ? And he's saying this, that once you are saved by grace... That you are not of yourself, but you are a gift of God. Think about that, a gift of God. Not by works that lest anyone boasts. This is the interesting thing here is that he didn't, it's nothing that you did that gets you here today. It's nothing you did that gets you to know Jesus Christ at all. It's the fact that he just loved us. So it doesn't matter what you do now, right, it's a, this, is a, this is where we get really confused because it's not what I do now, but because I am in Jesus Christ, I now go to do good works. So it's like, um, it's like falling in love, you know what I mean? It's like um, you, you, when you're dating somebody and you, you try to win them over, you know, because you're really keen and you're really motivated. Most of us would have been there, but done that, okay? And you get really keen and then when you get married, your whole life is full of good works. <laughs> Because you get out of bed or you get off that couch or you get off and do something because, yep, because of love, you do good works. It's not because I do good works that I'm a good husband. It's because I love her that I do good works. 
you see the difference? It's not because I do something I get love. It's because I'm loved and I love that therefore the byproduct of that is good works and what's what we see here. So it's not about our boasting. Now, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, okay? He, you never see him boast. You never see in any of his writings boasting because to him, he was just an instrument of God to do his work because he says, for you are his workmanship. God does not just merely save us from the wrath that we, that we actually did deserve, but he wants to make something beautiful of us. See, sometimes we think that the whole idea of church is just to come and feel good and be saved from the wrath that's to come, right? Or whatever it is, your motivation. But the church, and through the power of Jesus Christ, is to make something beautiful of us. You know, I, I'm a, um, an Army Reserve Major, and I've been in 20, nearly 27 years. I remember my recruit training. It was like, it was like torture, I mean, digging holes, sleeping in holes, living in the dirt. When I got out of, the, out of recruit training, I thought that I had, I had achieved great things until I did my initial employment training, which goes to the next level. And that's like, that's like 10 times worse than recruit training. But then I looked back at recruit training and thought, what a wuss. You know, I mean, at the time I wasn't a wuss, but at the t- afterwards, and I look at anyone who does recruit training now and I go, it's a wuss, it's easy because it really is, when you move through the stages that God wants us to. Sometimes we see a trial as what's happening, but God's got, I've got a plan to make you more beautiful, that the trial is the thing that is going to take out the impurities that is going to make you more beautiful, that's going to make you more capable, that's going to make you more impacting, more influential for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you're happy to sit there thumbing Thumb in, the thumb, thumb in the mouth and just sit there on, on a pew, then that's your decision. But God says, I want to make you even more beautiful than you are and more impacting. And I'm, you are my workmanship. We see here in verses 11 and 12, we talk about, and it talks about here in 11 and 12, about the, the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says that without Christ, the Gentiles were without Christ. But now that Christ has come, You are, you are now in the family. But he says here, and it's an interesting thing is, that without Christ means that you're without spiritual blessing. You're without the light of understanding. You're without peace. You're without rest. You're without safety. You're without hope. You're without a prophet, priest, or king. Without Christ, we don't have that reconciliation. We don't find contentment. You have a look at the people that you're around your world and see how many people are truly content in their life they can just sit there at night time unstressed most people are stressed because they they do not have the spiritual blessing light peace rest safety hope they don't understand their purpose but we read in verse 13 but now in christ jesus you were once afar off you have been brought near by the blood of jesus for he himself in verse 14 is our peace who has made you one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We are no longer separated from the full blessing of Jesus Christ, through, uh, sorry, God, through the power of Jesus Christ and his death. Having um, abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of, 
they're contained in the ordinance. Basically, we're no longer defined by the law. Okay, and I, I love this one. You know, I married Ainsley 30 years ago, and on that day I said to remain faithful, uh, you, know, you know, to withhold all that stuff and, you know, <laughs> sickness and health and, you know, make the declaration, which is really easy on the wedding day, isn't it? It is really easy on the wedding day to make that decision, you know. But the thing is, I wasn't standing there on that day as she's walking down the aisle going, now, Peter, I've got to remain faithful. It's going to be our journey. You know, I wasn't thinking that, was I? Right? The law only comes in when you need it. Because what God is saying, or what Christ is saying, is that when you truly love like Christ does the world around you, you do not need the law. You don't need the law that says to have God as your number one, to not have idols, to not commit adultery, to not steal, to not covet. You won't do those things because you're in the pure nature of Jesus Christ. And this is where true freedom in the spirit comes, is when we get to a point where we love like Jesus did. And if you don't know how to love like Jesus did, Read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John repetitively until you get it. Because in that you'll see, and don't just read the words, understand what Jesus was doing in each of the interactions he has with people and understand that when he talks to the leper and he has compassion and touches him, right, what does that mean for our life? Who are the untouchables in our life? Who are the people that we wouldn't talk to? Who are the people that we despise? Who are the people that we would not consider and love like Jesus does? That we might reconcile both God as one body through the cross. And what he's saying here is Jew and Gentile together as one body from the cross or through the cross. We read in verse 17 and 18, we read, And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near for through him you both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jews and Gentiles equal. Now, I'll give you an, I'll give you an, a, a, a thing here. NRL and AFL equal in the side of sportsmen. I can tell you they ain't. NRL is a, is a distant fourth place. Right? Okay? And we can have this argument... And we could, split, we could split this group up and there'd be the great, the great people on this side being the AFL supporters and then the masses being NRL. But the point is that sometimes we can become so indoctrinated in our own thinking that that can become a bias to other people. The Jews and Gentiles had a massive bias against each other. And the problem with that was is that when they came together, they saw the Gentiles as second-class citizens. They weren't quite there. They weren't... They were the second chosen people. But what Paul's saying here was, no, both of you were the same and both of you are now chosen for a different purpose. We see here in verse 19 and 22, the picture of God's work as, as, of reconciliation, both as individuals and amongst groups. He says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens of the household of faith. Built upon the gospel and the prophets. Uh, sorry, the apostles and the, and the prophets. God himself being the chief cornerstone. A cornerstone. Does anyone know what a cornerstone is? Cornerstone is the centre. It's the, it's the point of the building from which the rest of the building will be built. 
Now, if you've ever been to my house, which I don't think most of you, we should actually have you all over and just show you the house, but um, we brought a blake, vacant block of land. We're going to move a Queenslander in. We moved another Queenslander in. It was painstakingly working out which is the first stump. So what was going to be the line of the house? Now, the house is 41 metres long. It's uh, 14 and a half metres wide. But you had to pick a stump. And that was going to be the chief cornerstone. Because from that, everything else hinged. And that's what Jesus Christ is for us. He's that one point from which the rest of our life hinges. Right? And he says this. You will do more than I did. Now, we don't live by that. We do not live by that. He says, you will do more than I did. The apostles did more than Jesus Christ did. They did more miracles. They saw more people saved. They went to greater areas. They did more than Jesus Christ did. What limits us today when we have that as part of our staff? And in whom the whole building, being fit, uh, joined together, grow in the holy temple of the Lord. Now, what is this building he's talking about? Okay, well, and you also build together to dwell in the place of God in the spirit. And it says here that that building is the church. And what Paul is really saying here is what is the purpose of the church? Okay, and he says there is nothing more noble than the church because it is now the temple of God. Sometimes we look at the church and we, I, I often wonder what people think of church. You know, church... It's just people, is it a gathering of people together in a school hall on this occasion? Is it, uh, uh, is it a community of believers? Is it uh, a community under Christ? How we see the church will actually help us determine what we do in the church. Because if we see the church as a place we come to be made fat and happy, well, then that's what we will expect the church to make us fat and happy. If the church is about a community of believers that are all on different journeys who are engaging in the way Christ would like us to all be and we're all slowly being transformed to the nature of Christ and that we then stand as a shining light to the world, how dynamic does the church become? If we're a bunch of lazy Christians who just want to be happy, well, happiness is the, is the, is the robbery of our world today because it's just do whatever makes you happy. Don't tell me I can't do that because it makes me happy. You know, I say it's illegal, <laughs> but it makes me happy. I go, it's still illegal. They go, but it shouldn't be illegal because it makes me happy. You know what I mean? Happiness is a thing of disaster. But what we look at is not what makes us happy, but what makes us better or more influential. So we see that nothing is more noble than the church because it is the temple of God. Nothing is more worthy of reverence seeing God dwells in the church. God doesn't dwell in a temple anymore. He dwells within the church. And the church is the people. It's the building of the people. It's not this building. It's us as a group. Uh, nothing is so ancient since the patriarchs and the prophets are the ones who built it. Nothing is more so solid since Christ is the foundation of it. Christ didn't say, ah, oh, second thought, let's make a church. He said, no, I build the church. He says to Peter, on this faith, on this rock, I will build my church. That's what he declared. Nothing is so high since it has reached the heavenly places of Christ. Nothing is so perfect and well-proportioned since the Holy Spirit is its architect. 
and nothing is more beautiful because it is adorned of this building, the stones of every age, in every place, every people, from the highest to the lowest, the most brilliant to the least in intelligence, together as one community. Nothing so divine that the living body inhabits the Holy Spirit. The church is, we operate together as the body of God. And think about that for a moment. How is that working? But we read then about the mysteries in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason, and that's always another therefore, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. That's a very weird um, way of writing, isn't it? For you Gentiles. So he's a prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. In actual fact, Paul was a prisoner uh, in Rome at the time. He wrote the book of Ephesians because of the Gentiles. That's the reason he was in jail and in the end gets his head chopped off, right? He goes to Jerusalem and he has this big, you know, big opportunity to speak to the large masses of Christian Jews and Jews who are still maintaining the Old Testament. And he declared that the Gentiles were now equal partakers in the faith. And a whole stack of Jews said the Messiah did not come to save the Gentiles. He said, no, the Messiah came to save all. And because of that, false accusations were made and how they were hunting him down for, for legal reasons and he invoked his fact that he was a Roman, he invoked it to be heard by Caesar. So he's in prison in about 60 AD and then um, history says that about 67 AD he is beheaded uh, at the... Um, at the, after his trial with Caesar. Um, but the reason he's there is because he stood up for the Gentiles. Because he did not just believe the Gentiles were allowed in, he said it was always the plan to have them in. That Jesus came not just to save Israel, but to save everyone. It wasn't like it was a second thought about the Gentiles. And this is what you've got to understand about Jesus' love and the reason of Jesus is wasn't just to save the, the, the household of Israel, but it was to save you. On behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that is in you, now how for the mystery is known, of, uh, sorry, known to me by revelation. And what he says here is, is that the Old Testament never mentioned that the Messiah was coming to save the world. The Messiah in the Old Testament was to save the household of Israel. But what happened is that during Jesus' time on earth, it became very clear that Jesus was not about Israel but everybody. And how do we know that? Is that Jesus had 12 disciples to the household of Israel, one for each tribe. But he had 72 other disciples that he sent abroad And 72 is an interesting number because that was the number of known countries at that time. One for each country. So when Jesus sent out his 72, that's who he was sending him to, was the rest of the world. He was never about just having us as a second thought. He says the mystery, this mystery in verse 6, 
is that the Gentiles and fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ through the, Holy, uh, through the gospel. It's through the gospel of good news that we see that, um, that we have that salvation. And, in the, and it, he says he presents the mystery that through, uh, to me, through, uh, so though I am the very least of all saints, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone that the plan of the mystery hidden in the ages in God who created all things. So that through, in verse 10, and so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In verse 11, this is according to the eternal purpose that we recognize Jesus Christ our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through the faith in him. We have access in faith. Now, when I was a, um, a young officer cadet, I couldn't go to my lieutenant colonel and, without an appointment. And I'd have to have a very good, very good reason to see him, right? Um, at the moment, because I'm a major, I can, I, I've got open access to uh, my boss. And, and I can ring him up at any time and have a conversation. I can walk into his office, I can have that conversation. But what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter where you are in the journey of life and in, the, and, and in your process of transformation, you have immediate access to the household. The household being in heaven, flowing through the church on earth. You have access to all things in Christ. And sometimes I sit there and, I, and look, I'm challenged myself because you pray for things and you, and you see things. But, and, and, and it's that little voice in your head, are you, what do you think? Who do you think you are? But Jesus is saying, I have, I have a vision for you. I have a destiny for you. I have a purpose for you. Within the church, and the church being the, the household of faith, that each one of us, could you imagine if we all went to the next level on our journey, what that would do for Noosa? Could you imagine if we went three levels over the next 12 months? Each one of us just grew in faith, grew in understanding, grew in the Holy Spirit. See, my, I'm very rarely, I, it's been a long time since I've been challenged in the faith because I read the Bible regularly and I study the Word because I know the Holy Spirit, I know the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit. You know, like we sung that song, Another in the Fire. He was there on that day when three guys were thrown in the fiery furnace. Why did God allow them to be thrown in the fiery furnace? That's the question we often ask, right? But the thing is, God had a plan. There was a miracle to happen. The miracle was that there was going to be the Son of Man standing in the fire with them. Now, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not know what was going to happen when they got thrown into the fiery furnace. They just had a confidence that God was God. That's all you need to have is that God is God, Jesus is Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And that you are, have direct access by that faith. So when you get thrown in the fiery furnace, which is a trial, what happened is that the Son of Man came and stood with them. And then when the Nebuchadnezzar saw it, he was amazed and astonished. And he changed policy of Babylon. Now, it didn't matter how much these guys talked to Nebuchadnezzar, they were never going to convince him to change. What took was a miracle. And sometimes we're going to be the vehicle of that miracle. 
for people in their people's lives. We see here, he goes, um, that we'll get the manifold wisdom. That's through this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that we may be able to, that we may know by the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And this is according to his eternal purpose. His eternal purpose was not to save you. His eternal, eternal purpose is to build you. It's not about saving, it's about building. Building his house. How does he build his house? He doesn't just put more people in it, he builds the people within it to become bigger, stronger, mightier in the household of faith. So it's about you, are, you have made a decision to be built, not just to be saved. The fact that the unity is shown in truth that we have identical boldness, access and confidence before God. You can, you can walk up to God and just go, and I do it, I go, we've got, a, we've got a, a purple book from Joyce Myers that has a whole stack of scriptures in it. So whenever something's challenging, you just go, Gee, well, you wrote it. It's in your word. I'm going to repeat it to you. And I now hold on to it. I declare your word. Because he says, you declare my word back to me. And what does he say? He's not going to ignore it. That's why using the scriptures is so important. We read in verse 13, And so I ask that you do not lose heart over my suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, Paul is here in jail saying to the Gentiles, don't be upset that I'm here because of you. That, dismiss that. Because the glory is in what you do next. It's not the fact that I am suffering for you. The fact is you just do what you need to do. And we see here that he, um, he uses this probably in a greater way than you ever imagined. The Roman imprisonment produced the letters of Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians and Philemon. If you ever want to know how to forgive, read Philemon. It's all about forgiveness. You want to read Philippians, it's all about loving one another. And if you want to uh, read Colossians, it's very similar to Ephesians. <coughs> Four great books that show us how we should be as a body of people together. How we should forgive one another, love one another, maintain the household of faith as, as our number one priority. And that's an interesting question. Is church a priority? Because in the Bible it says it must be. You know? Um, <coughs> it's, a challenging, it's a challenging book, unfortunately. So... For this reason, I bow my knees before God, whom, from whom every family in heaven and on, on earth is named, but according to, that according to the riches of his glory that he grants to you and strengthens the power uh, in his spirit in, uh, in your internal being, so that the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. See, that's the thing about the church. It must be grounded in love. We read that today. We, lo we, we love his mercy. We love his love. But our response is that we must in love. That's simply all we need to do is just love. Love is not self-seeking. Read you know, 1 Corinthians 13. <coughs> it doesn't seek its own. It doesn't, it, it's not proud. It's not haughty. Okay. <coughs> God's love is wider enough 
to include every person. God's love is wide enough to last through the eternities. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner and God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. How good is our love? You know, how good is our love? I said it last week, you know, it's not like JFK said it, but it's not what the church can do for you, but what can the church do? What can you, you know, so not what you can, the church can do for you, but what you can do for the church is really what the answer is in what we read in Ephesians, is how well do we love one another? Do we love coming together? Do we love meeting new people? Do we love just embracing the people around us? And we read one of my favourite doxologies, which is in verse 30, uh, 20, it says, And now, unto, uh, now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all things that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying, he's exceedingly abundantly above. You know, I've got, I've, got a, I've got a couple of captains, right, over the years, who or lieutenants, and they're just not running right. Do I give them the opportunities that would exceed their current capability? The answer is no. So what I do is I put a stepping stone in the way so that they step onto that so that they can launch themselves and so that they can get to a point where they are able to take on the opportunities that are available. God is no different. God says, I've got opportunities for you, but I just need you to move to this location, to live to, move, to, live to this level, or whatever it is in your life. And he says, and when you hit that point, I can open the doors that need to be opened. Sometimes we cry, Lord, open the doors. He's saying, just take the step. You know what I mean? Step up. You know what I mean? Sometimes we just got to step up. It could be just starting, join the door greeting team or whatever. You know, the thing about the church is it's God's answer. It's not perfect. It's made of humans. It's made of all of us. Okay? We all are on our own journey of Jesus Christ. Some of us may have not even started that journey. Some of us may have been in it for a long time and still need to iron out things. But that's the most amazing thing about the love of Jesus Christ. He loves us. He doesn't punish us. He wants to see the best of us. Like a loving father, a loving mother to their children, you just want the best for them. And just think about Jesus like that for a moment, that he loves you despite what you think. He just loves you. And he wants you to be everything you're meant to be, everything that you're capable of becoming. But not as individuals, but as a collective within the church. Because it's the church the world will see. It's a church that comes together because we can show the world how people of all different ages, backgrounds and faiths and whatever history can come together in unity, which we do not see in the world today. I don't know about you, but the 21st century is getting a lot more scarier than it was 10 years ago, where the world is, the unity of the world has fallen apart. The church more than ever in our lifetime has become the answer to the world as we show unity of love together. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa.